0: The yes, was a wee little man, a wee little man was... You know it. We're done. First, I want to bring greetings, but I, Aubrey, I want to say, uh, when we invested in Church of the Incarnation, I feel like we invested in Apple or Google. I mean, you guys, we've invested in a lot of churches, a lot. We built 40-some churches in Rwanda, we have built churches in China and Vietnam and all over the U.S., Boston... We really can see God's hand in this church, and I think what's happening is he's growing you guys up, and now you're doing the very same thing, and you're doing it so early in your church life. We say hallelujah. I mean, I really do feel like we won the lottery in partnering with you guys. Today, we're going to be doing the very familiar story in the Bible of Zacchaeus. So if you have your Bible, you want to open to Luke 19, Luke 19. Luke 19. All right, here we go. So it says, as, uh, as he entered Jericho, as Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, he says, behold, there was a, a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and rich. So Jesus was going through Jericho. Jericho was a very rich place. They sold balsam, uh, very uh, expensive timber, and it smelled beautiful. In fact, the word Jericho means fragrance. And so he was passing through this amazing place that was wealthy, that smelled good. That's good. And uh, Jesus was passing through. And behold, there was a man there named Zacchaeus. Now, I'm going to tell you a little secret. If you have not been to seminary and you want to learn what words mean, like Greek words and Hebrew words, you may not get all the nuance, but if you go to Blue Letter Bible and you type in your passage, on the side, there's a little thing called tools. You click that, and then you'll see what the the words in either Greek or Hebrew mean in every place they're used, and you can wow your friends. (laughs) So Zacchaeus, I looked looked it up because names mean something, right? In the Bible, names mean something. Zacchaeus means pure or innocent one, pure or innocent one. I find that very ironic for a man who made his life ripping people off He did not live up to his name that his his father had given him, pure, innocent. Zacchaeus was anything but pure, innocent. He was never pure, innocent until Jesus met him and gave him purity and righteousness. It was a gift given to him, but he did not have it in himself. Anyway, it says, he entered Jericho. He was passing through. uh, Jesus was. And behold, there's a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. You guys know what tax collectors are, right? So they're basically turncoats. They they were Jewish people that worked for the Romans. Jews hated being occupied by Rome. They hated the Roman Empire. And they especially hated Jews that would turn against their own people and rip them off. It kind of worked like this. The Roman Empire would say, hey, so you're in Jericho and a lot of business goes by here. We're going to set up a booth. When people come by, they have to pay a tax. You can make up the percentage. Maybe it was a 10% tax. But... If you're the tax collector, you can put your profit on top of that. And if they don't pay it, you have the weight of the Roman Empire behind you. You can nail them. And so the Jews hated, they hated these turncoats. It's it's much like in Auschwitz. Have you read about the concentration camps? Did you know what the Germans did? It was diabolical. What they did is they took primarily Russian Jews and they made them, they're called the Blockau. And the block owls were the ones who decided how much gruel or how much soup that each uh, prisoner in the concentration camp would get. And if they got out of line, you know who did the punishing? It wasn't the Germans. It was the Russian Jews, the block owls. They, they punished, they hurt their own people. They starved or didn't starve their own people. And so in a way, they turned the Jews against themselves by using Jews uh, to, to punish uh, their own people, and so here we see a similar thing where the Romans were using Jews to be tax collectors, and uh, the Bible recounts that uh, Zacchaeus was not only a tax collector; he was a what? Chief tax collector. That meant he basically had a Ponzi scheme working. He had like five or six people underneath him. Each of them were ripping people off and making lots of money, and then he took his share of that. So he was a chief tax collector, and the Bible also recounts something else about Zacchaeus. What else? We're going to get to that. What do they say? Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and he was? Yeah, rich. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Rich. Who's rich? Somebody that has a dollar more than you, right? Wherever you are in life, if you're a student, anybody that doesn't have to eat ramen noodles... That person is rich, right? I remember a friend of mine, we'll get to him later, my buddy in seminary, Henry Harrison, inherited $10 million in 1985. Now, friends, back in 1985, $10 million was a lot of money. I say that jokingly because it's still a lot of money. Yeah, so, so why am I telling you? Oh, so I know why. So my friend, so my, friend my friend Hank, he was, he was just eccentric as all get out, Um. Anyway, he went on this cruise because he wanted to flash his money around. He went on a cruise with the wealthiest of the wealthy. He's on this little, not not the kind of cruise ships we go on, you know, the ones with like 4,000 people where people get sick and yak and all that stuff. No, not not that, that kind of cruise ship. We're talking about a little private one with about 50 people on it where you can get anything you want. And he got on the cruise ship and he was there about two days and he realized, I am the poorest person on this cruise ship. And he just couldn't handle it. He thought he was rich, but all of a sudden he got around other people and goes, I'm not rich. And so he demanded that they fly him off in a helicopter. Zacchaeus. <laughs> yeah, so who's rich? I think, I think if you go to Rwanda or other places, you might find we're all rich, friends. We're all rich. If you look at the, the world, the entire world, do you have food? Do you have clean water? Do you have a shower? Yeah. Do you have more than one pair of pants? you're rich. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and he was very rich. It goes down in verse 3 and says, uh, and he uh, was seeking to see who Jesus was. I I don't know why. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I I think Zacchaeus uh, had heard about the miracles Jesus had had been doing. I believe the Gospel of John tells us Jesus did seven miracles. Uh, There's another place in Scripture said if uh, there are not enough books written could ever record the number of miracles Jesus did. But we know that Jesus was healing people. In fact, just before this, he healed a blind man. And so Zacchaeus clearly had heard about it, and somehow in his heart, in his spirit, he was a hated man. Uh, he had issues. Nobody liked him, but somehow he was, the, the Lord was beginning to move in his spirit, and he wanted to know more about Jesus. I understand that because there was a time in my life when I was 20 years old, when I was a frat boy, I didn't know the Lord at all, I'd been to church, not a Christian, and, and, and the things I was doing to make myself happy just weren't working. Oh, they were fun for a while, but they stopped being fun. And, and, and the Lord started planting me a desire for something more. And I think this is what was happening with Zacchaeus. It says he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He had a desire, a heart to learn more about Jesus. It says, but on account of the crowd, he could not. Why could Zacchaeus not see Jesus? Why could he not get to him? Because there's a crowd, but, but what else? He was a wee little man. <laughs> He's a wee little man. So I did some study for you. Uh, I looked up what's the average, you know, Google, Siri, Alexa, what's the height of the average man in the time of Jesus? And of course I got multiple answers, but the consensus is somewhere between 5'2 and 5'3 was the average man. So if Zacchaeus st- stood out as being particularly a wee little man, he, he was like my grandson. He was just a little, tiny little fella, right? And um, so I understand what it is to be short. I, I, I'm not the tallest guy, you may have noticed, right? When I get my pictures taken, sometimes I, if I'm in the back, I do this. And then occasionally the, the photograph will catch me on my toes, and that's not, <laughs> it's not cool. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I wanted to play in the NFL. I did. I wanted to play in the NFL, And I was so excited when I went to the doctor. I was about maybe six or seven years old, and they measure something. And the doctor has a a chart, and based on that measurement, he he tells your mom or dad how tall you're going to be. He told my mother I was going to be six foot four. (laughs) Friends, I'm 5'10 and a quarter inches, and only short guys would count quarter inches, right? I never got the other inches. So I know what it's like not to be the tall guy. I know what it is to wish that you were bigger. I know what it is to go to a movie theater, and I'm always sitting behind a guy who's 6'5", always. I go to a concert. We went to see Drew and Ellie Holcomb, amazing concert. Of all the people there, there's a guy like 6'6 six six in front of me, and I'm like trying to see over him. That's what Zacchaeus had a problem. He couldn't see Jesus because he was short, because of the crowd, and the crowd hated him. Let's press on. So um, he says, he ran ahead. He climbed up into a sycamore fig tree, And because he wanted to see Jesus, because Jesus was about to pass that way. So basically, some commentaries say, you see, be a good Christian, make the effort to try to see Jesus. Friends, there's no gospel in that. I reject that commentary. The gospel is not you trying harder to see Jesus, not you pushing in to find your way to Jesus. The gospel is, he comes to you while you're unable to come to him, right? We're all like blind, what is it, blind squirrels trying to find a nut, Right? We don't know our left hand from our right hand. Unless God gives us the grace, unless he comes near us, we'll never get to him. That's Christianity. That's the gospel. He comes to those who cannot come to him. And we see this, and it's, it's so clear in the case of Zacchaeus. And he comes up, he, and it says in verse 5, And when Jesus came to that place where Zacchaeus was in the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, get out of that tree. Now, what did he say? He said, Zacchaeus, hurry on down. For I must stay at your house today. You know what confused me? How did Jesus know his name? How did Jesus know his name? It's an odd thing when somebody calls you by your name and you're like, how does this person know me? I used to have a a cable TV show, outdoors, hunting, fishing, rock climbing. I know you can't really see it now, but one time I was very fit and outdoorsy. And um, I would go all over Roanoke and Southwest Virginia and people go, Hey, Quig, how you doing? Like, they knew me. Like, like they really felt they knew me because they'd seen me on TV, and I didn't have a clue who they were. you know how awkward that is to be in the grocery store and somebody goes, Hey, Quig, how you doing? Hey, man, how you? You know, it's tough. So how did Jesus know his name? How did Jesus know that? Well, maybe he knew his name because he was a cheat and everybody hated him. But I think he knew his name because he created him, Right? Lord of lords, king of kings. Uh, He created all all things were created through him, by him, and for him. Jesus knew his name. Just like he he knows your name. Even before you knew him, he knew you. And so he called Zacchaeus, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. You can see, I mean, there's an intimacy to that. And when you call somebody by their name in Scripture, the name represents who they are. Remember when Moses said, Hey, God, you want me to go on this mission and tell these people uh, what what you have told me to tell them? Who, shall I say, is sending me? In other words, in the name, there's a revelation of who the identity is of the sender. And so the fact that he was called Zacchaeus is really interesting. Again, Zacchaeus means pure or innocent. We know he was anything but that. Anything but that. But anyway, in verse 6, it says, Zacchaeus hurried down. He hurried, he came down, and then what did he do? When he got to the bottom of the tree, what did he do? It's the Bible says he received Jesus joyfully. He received Jesus joyfully. The whole thing of receiving, receiving Christ as Savior. John 1, 12 says this, But to all who did receive him, to all, even tax collectors, right? Prostitutes, drug addicts, uh, grumpy people, um, religious people, irreligious people, to all who received him, to those who believed and trusted in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In my church growing up, we kind of strayed off the reservation from the scriptures, and they would, I've heard pastors say, we're all God's children. You heard that? We're all God's children. It's such a nice thing. You put it in a Hallmark card. The only problem is, friends, it's not true. It's not true. It's not true. The Bible says He gives us the right to become children of God. We're all made in God's image. He lets His. Reign on the just and the unjust. God is good and He's kind. He gives good gifts, even to those who hate Him. But we're not all children. The only way you become a son or daughter of God is when you receive the gift of faith. And you believe and trust in Jesus. To all who received Him, He gave them the right to become children of God. And so we see Zacchaeus was actually had received Him joyfully. Verse 7. When they saw it, I mean, there's always grumpy people in the church, aren't there? There's always like, you know, rah, 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 grumblers. The Old Testament is a book of grumbling, right? The people of God, when they were in the desert, they'd just seen God do incredible uh, plagues and miracles. He parted the Red Sea. He had led them by a, a cloud uh, by day and a pillar of fire by night. He'd saved them from the Egyptians. He gave them manna when they were hungry. He was with them. And yet, what did the, the, the religious people do when they saw Jesus meeting with this tiny little miserable tax collector named Zacchaeus? And see, when they saw Zacchaeus receive the Lord joyfully, how did they respond? They grumbled, they murmured and complained. Isn't that just unbelievable? God's doing this amazing thing. He's bringing somebody to himself, and all these religious people can do is grumble. Verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, I love this, because God clearly had done something in his life. Zacchaeus, for the first time, felt loved. He had a friend that was closer than a brother. You can imagine if you're the most hated person in town, nobody likes you. And you have all this money, but guess what? So what? It doesn't make any difference. Zacchaeus was hated. He knew it. He was lonely. He was miserable. And he had tasted and seen that the Lord was good. And he says, Behold, Lord, uh, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. You know, when the Lord grabs a hold of you, when, when he really grabs you and you've tasted mercy, the other things lose their value. They do. They lose their value. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. In other words, what he's saying is, I have a new God now. Money used to be my God. Things used to be my God. But they're a cruel God. They never love you back. Goods, wealth. Hey, who doesn't like money? Who doesn't like things? We all like that. But if they're your God, they're a cruel God and they don't love you back. And so once Zacchaeus tasted the mercy of the Lord, he says, Lord, heck, these things mean nothing to me now. I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. And on top of that, And this is kind of funny. I think there's humor in the Bible. He says, if I've defrauded anyone. What do you mean, Zacchaeus? If. You've made a career of defrauding. You had a Ponzi scheme of people defrauding underneath you. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'm going to restore it fourfold. That was an amazing thing. See, that's why we talk about New Testament giving. Yeah, we want everybody to give tithes and offerings. Tithes, tithes, tithes. Tithes was never the goal. The Jews gave more than that under the law. We who are under grace should give more than that. And what we're seeing here with Zacchaeus is he's like uh, things have lost; uh, they're, they're no longer my God. They no longer captivate my attention. And what I'm more concerned is the kingdom. I'm more concerned about this relationship going on. And so the law said, "Hey, if you know if you steal something, you're supposed to give a payback double." And Zacchaeus goes, "No, I'm going to pay back fourfold. Half of my stuff give to the poor. I'm going to pay back fourfold." And you notice. He said to him, I I didn't get this the first service, Aubrey. I I missed this. He he says to Jesus, there's a title he uses. Look in verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord. Zacchaeus got saved that day. He met Christ that day. He called him Lord. Look in verse 9. It says, and Jesus said to him, said to Zacchaeus, because he he has called upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. You'll become a son or daughter. And Jesus said to him, today, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house. Since he also, meaning Zacchaeus, was the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. Isn't that a wonderful little story? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. We go home, which is a nice little story. No friends, we are Zacchaeus. We're Zacchaeus. We're the ones who are helpless. We have no way to make ourselves right before a holy God. And God in his mercy has walked by. He's invited us into relationship. He's told us to come down out of the tree, be with me, spend life with me. I want, I want to have a relationship with you. We even see it at the end of the Bible. Revelation it says, behold, I stand at the door knock. If you'll open the door to me, I will come in and have a feast. I will have a supper with you. Remember I talked about my friend, my rich friend? Did I reference him earlier? You know the sad story about him? The guy that went on that cruise ship? At the end of his life, I lost track with him. He stopped sending me Christmas cards. He stopped calling. And I began to worry about my friend Henry. Had all the money in the world, $10 million. I found out that he burned through every dollar, every single dollar. He was drinking himself to death. He was admitted to the rescue mission in Greenville, South Carolina that his uber-wealthy parents had donated, and he lived there for one year in the rescue mission penniless until he went to the hospital to die. He was not a wealthy man. He had received much money, but he had no wealth. Friends, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. The challenge for us this morning, and the challenge to pastors, we get, we get focused on discipling people, and that's the call of God, to make disciples. But friends, first of all, we got to introduce them to Jesus. I'm so glad my friend Mo Gill, in 1980, looked across the room and didn't look at my exterior. I had long hair. I was rebellious. I thought I was the hottest thing in the room. I was poor, blind, pitiful, and naked. That I would never have shared the gospel with me. I was that kid like, this guy will never accept Jesus. But Mo Gill walked across the room, and he told me, I am a Christian, and I'm so happy. And I thought, well, of course, you're Episcopalian. Of course, you're a Christian. But he looked at me, and he said, no, not like that. He goes, I've come into a relationship with Christ, and I am so happy. He goes, I want you to know Christ. And he said, end of sermon. I want to go to my car and get something. He ran to his car. He got a book called Basic Christianity, which is kind of like Christianity for dummies, Christianity 101. He says, Quig, read this book. I think he knew I wasn't going to read a big tome. He just gave me a little one by John Stott. Read this book. <laughs> And I read the book, and in the middle of that book, I discovered grace. I discovered who Jesus was, and I said, you know what, Lord? I, I hurried on down from the tree, and I said, Lord, I want to let you into my life. I cannot live without you anymore. The challenge that we have this morning is if God were to give you glasses and you could walk out in Harrisonburg, and now you can see clearly, and on everyone's forehead it would say, saved, unsaved, or if you didn't grow up Baptist, and maybe you don't like that language. One of the Lord's sheep, a goat. <laughs> Could you imagine if the Lord let you see that? Seriously. Even in, amongst your own friends. I tell you, friends, they're pastors, they're bishops, they're nuns, they're all kinds of people, religious people, who will not enter the kingdom of God because they do not know the Lord. They don't have faith. I'm telling you, they're friends that God has put in your, in your circle. They're just waiting for you to invite You don't have to out-argue them. In fact, I would say I don't know one person that's been argued in the kingdom. But what they need is regular people. to say, I once was blind, but now I see. Or or just to say, this is what the Lord did in my life. I I cannot argue. I can't explain everything in the world. But what I can say is, Christ has changed my life. Friends, be unleashed, church. Be unleashed. Share the hope that lies within you. Don't be religious when you do it, but just share the hope that lies within you. Walk across the room. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.